Welcome to America's Tap Rebbitsons. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Tap Rebbitsons YouTube page or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you're the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Leah Hensha Bat Sivia Golda, Sivia Golda Bat Vega, Shmuel Ben Yitzhak, and Esther Rebecca. I am honored to have on today's show Rebbitsin Nahami Simon. Rebbitsin Nahami, along with her husband, Rabbi Ephraim, are the co-directors of the Teaneck Chabad House in Teaneck, New Jersey. Rebbitsin Nahami helps to organize and run Jewish learning classes for women, community Shabbat meals, programs for children and senior citizens, as well as many other activities. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It really is an honor and a privilege to share, to be here and share this platform with so many awesome and amazing women that came before me and with you as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, okay, so a little bit about me. I am, I consider myself very lucky and very privileged to have been born and to have been raised in Crown Heights by wonderful, wonderful parents and a wonderful family, Baruch Hashem in the light of Hasidus, in the in the neighborhood of the Rebbe, of the Lubavitch Rebbe. So I always consider that a big privilege. I shouldn't say always. I didn't necessarily growing up. As you're young, you take things for granted. But certainly as I've matured and I understand the significance and, and what I actually grew up with that I didn't realize because I was taking for granted, it's a big privilege. Um, I think that we're going to be talking about miracles in a little while. I think the biggest miracle of my life is that I met my husband um, almost 30 years ago now, Baruch Hashem. And that itself is quite quite an interesting story. Me coming from Kern Heights, my husband coming from a non-observance home in the Valley, Granada Hills, California. Wow. And that is the has been the biggest blessing of my entire life to share my life and to make my life together with my husband and with Baruch Hashem, we have uh, children, and and to have a life together on Shlichus in Teaneck, New Jersey. So you know, you asked a little bit about myself, asked a little bit about myself, and then a little bit about what I do. It's I had a I have a little maybe even unconventional kind of answer because lately I've been pondering this a lot. You know, when people ask what do you do, it's not really a reflection of who they are. It's not a definition of what they are. So what I like to think is. What do I do? What I hope and what I try to do is I try to do what Hashem wants in me and what the and do my mission here. I'm here for a reason. My mission here is to make a dear betachtonim, a dwelling place for Hashem here in this world. So in whatever ways I might do it, whether whatever programs I might offer or whatever meals or whatever it is, those are just like the little channels, little vehicles. But my point and what I do, or at least I try to do, is what my mission is, is to live my life as a Jew, as a shlucha, as a representative of Friends of Lubavitch or Bergen County, where we are. Um, I heard actually, I'm sure you're familiar with the podcast, Tova Chazanov's podcast, Human and Holy, and she interviewed Rifki Kaplan. It was about a year ago, about this time, and she was talking about our obsession with productivity and to embrace the value of simply being. You know, many of us measure our worth by our productivity, and she was able to show through a talk given by the Lubavitcher Rebbe about actually about Rosh Chodesh and the diminishment of the moon. She has considered that sometimes our mere presence is enough, just being. And I love the what she said. She said, we're, we're called human beings, not human doings. And I feel like that's an important message to portray. So even though you ask me, what do I do? This is not really the answer you were expecting. But I love that message. And I wanted to share that. I love that. 
the pleasure of simply being because you're right in our busy world we're doing so many things we're, we're taking care of the kids we're going to work where we have things to do with the house financial obligations health obligations obligations with parents and family and friends and especially now we're in the holiday season this is being recorded in december of 2022 so we're gearing up for hanukkah there's just so much all the time and we feel like we're, we're going to explode but we forget there were we're human beings and we forget to take pleasure in the art of just simply being. And I think it's so beautiful that you brought it up. So thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. So as I mentioned, the, the holiday of Hanukkah is coming up very soon. And this holiday is a favorite among many Jews worldwide. And I completely understand why. We eat crispy potato latkes and delicious jelly donuts. We have fun playing a spinning top called a dreidel. We light candles on the menorah while reciting blessings and singing songs. And then we open up our gifts. One gift each night for eight nights. And it's a great holiday, but that's just a surface celebration. Hanukkah is a holiday full of deep spiritual meaning. We love this holiday already, but today, with your help, I would love to delve into the true meaning of Hanukkah so that we can really, really appreciate it that much more and bring and 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 bring to life all that it has to has you know the, all the meaning that it has to it. We can bring even more joy into the holiday. So let's start at the beginning. Can you please tell us what Hanukkah is really all about? Absolutely. And I love this question. I love this because everybody loves Hanukkah. We love that there's so much to talk about and there's so much to do. But let's start with like the basic story of Hanukkah. Yes. So the basic story, it takes place about 2200 years ago. The Syrian Greek king Antiochus IV at the time, he outlawed Jewish religion. It was actually the first time that we know of that there were laws against being Jewish. There were it was it was you were not allowed to teach Torah. You are not allowed to give a child a bris milah. You are not allowed to keep Shabbos. And this was all on pain of death. Not only that, but he desecrated the Beis HaMikdash and converted it into a pagan shrine, defiling it and all the holy objects inside, including all the oil that was used to light the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash every day. There was a tiny, tiny group of Jews that actually stood up against these decrees determined to fight against all odds. The king's army was enormous, a huge number of soldiers, all the latest military technology, including elephants. <laughs> and if you think about going up against an elephant, it's like going up against a modern day tank. But led by the brave and loyal Yehuda Maccabee, this tiny group of people placed their faith in Hashem. And they went ahead with what seemed like an impossible task. To everyone's surprise, they actually won the battle. They were they won battle after battle until they were successful in liberating Yerushalayim and retaking the Holy Temple, the Beis HaMikdash. But the miracle didn't stop there. Not only was this tiny army triumphant against a huge foe, but now came another miracle where they found oil that wasn't just pure, but it had the highest stamp of approval. It was the, the, the seal of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest. There could be nothing more pure than this. And as we all know, they found only enough for one day. And what should they do? They figured they light it. What else could they do? They lit it. And lo and behold, the oil lasted for the full eight days, the eight days in which time they were able by then to procure new oil from the Galilee. Um, so this, this Hanukkah is about a time of triumph, of light over darkness. It's about hope. It's about Jewish pride. And 
there's there are so many fun customs and and mitzvahs that we have and that we could learn from um i should i keep going or do we do you have any questions no this is beautiful i love the story go ahead yep all right, so keep going. So the main mitzvah of Hanukkah is lighting the menorah. We celebrate by recognizing the miracle of the oil. So we light the menorah with oil. And the light of the menorah brings light to the darkness. The triumph of light over darkness, we highlight. So one of the fun things that we have is we eat fried foods. Yum. Who doesn't love a good potato latka or donuts? Delicious. Um, but there's something else that we can learn from the oil, and that is Hi, I'm so sorry to have interrupted you. There was some loud noises coming in on my end, but please go on. You were talking about latkes and frying latkes and all the wonderful and fun things that we do on Hanukkah. Right. And then I wanted to highlight the the oil itself and the lighting of the menorah itself. And that is, how do we light? On the first night, we light one candle, and then we proceed every night to add another one. What is What are we doing here? This is a lesson for us that as we go through life, we should be in a state of learning and growing and moving up. And as we do, it's incremental. It's one step at a time. It's not like we're taking flying leaps. It's one step at a time. But also we're cognizant and we see the empty ones that are yet to come. So we always have our eye on the goal. We see what's coming. We see where we're headed. We see what we're trying to accomplish. And also... Each little step that we take, we celebrate, we light, and we celebrate every single night. So every step in our growth is cause for celebration. And we recognize that the journey, the process, the journey itself is an end in itself as well. It's part of our mission. It's what we're trying to to accomplish, what we're trying to do. So the question is, if we view it as our lives and our growth as a ladder, it's not that we have to jump to the top of the ladder. It's one step at a time, but we just have to be cognizant of which way are we going. And if we're moving up, then we're doing well. So that's about the oil. Um, And then the next fun custom that we have is the game of playing dreidel. And that came about because as the Greeks were trying to enforce the laws of not having anybody learn Torah, um, any any group of children or any people who are actually learning, when they would hear the approach of the Greeks, they would quickly pull out these little dreidels and they would start playing dreidel. And till today we play dreidel and it's so much fun. And I, I heard, first heard from a cousin of mine, she gave a talk, Goldie Slavin, uh, in Krakis, Venezuela, she gave a talk um, about the Kabbalah of the dreidel, which you don't think necessarily wow. that there's anything behind this game. But what is a dreidel? A dreidel is a spinning top that has four sides and there are four letters and one on each side. The letters are nun, gimel, hey, and shin. And in the conventional game of dreidel that we play, when you land, when you spin the dreidel and it lands on a gimel, you get the whole pot. Gimel, great, yay. When you land on a hey, you get half. Hop, it's for the Hebrew, the Yiddish word, gimel for gans, the whole thing, hey for a half, for half. If you land on a nun, nisht, nothing, nothing happens. But if you land on a shin, then you actually have to put something in. You have to give up something that you have and put it in the pot. And we can see, we can look at it as all of us, we have four modes of being. We have our gimel days when everything's going fantastic. Everything's great. It's awesome. And then we have our heydays, like, okay, they're, they're okay, they're, you know, all right. But sometimes we have nun days, just not, we don't feel motivated. Things don't seem to be going the way we would like and the way they should. And sometimes we have downright days that feel like a shin. It's really difficult. It's really challenging. 
And what do we have to remember is we have to remember that each letter represents only one face of a dreidel. It's a single angle. But if we look at what is the whole dreidel, the whole dreidel, the nun, gimel, he, and shin, stand for the words, neis gadol hayasham. A great miracle happened there. Everything is part of Hashem's grand plan. Everything is a miracle. If you look at the actual structure of a dreidel, the little thing that you spin by is on top. As long as the dreidel is spinning, it's everything is coming from above. Everything is coming from heaven. It's facing upward. The, the top of the dreidel is facing upward, which shows us that everything comes from Hashem. So when we recognize that even when we have our days that might feel like, uh, you know, what, what Hashem represents, it, it's all from Hashem, and it's all part of a bigger picture. It's just right now we are seeing the Shin. You know, at the time of Hanukkah, the Maccabees themselves must have felt a lot like what it must have been, like things like Shin, a lot. It was really difficult. It was very challenging. But they, they refused to believe and see only the challenge and only the oppression and the persecution. They knew there was a Gimel on the other side. They, they knew there was a Hashem above. And therefore, they persevered and they had faith and they had hope. And that's why we're able to be here celebrating today. So we have to remember when we feel someone's like we're draining, we're spinning, things are going crazy. We have to remember Hashem is the one who is in charge and everything comes from Hashem. And that means when we're stuck in traffic, when we're late for a meeting, when we break the vase of flowers and everything goes, the glasses everywhere, when we have fears and anxieties that are difficult to overcome, when we have a relationship that suddenly seems to be very difficult and challenging, it all comes from Hashem. And we, and it's all just one facet of the greater picture. So we, it's vital to remember that whatever letter day we seem to be having at, at a particular point, the dreidel is telling us that miracles happen and we can transform dark situations into the bright light of the Hanukkah menorah. And it depends on our faith in Hashem, of course, and our commitment to create a vehicle for the miracle. You know, the wow. truth is sometimes. Yeah. They, I, mean, <laughs> I, just, like, I just wanted to, to take a minute to pause because what you said was so profound and it was so deep. And honestly, I've never heard it put this way before. Of course, I've you know, I know what a dreidel is and I've heard about the dreidel, but I've never heard it put in this way, the Kabbalah of the dreidel in such a way that each letter, it represents one facet of our lives. You know, some days we have this, sometimes we have this kind of day or that kind of day. And, but we should never, ever give up hope because really the dreidel, it's all different facets of the same thing. You know, the four sides of the dreidel, it's all different facets of the one dreidel piece. And that really Hashem is in charge. Everything comes from Hashem. And each facet of our lives, each type of day that we have is just a portion of the greater picture. And I just think it's such a beautiful way of looking at it. So even if it's dark, even if it's just the none days that forget it, nothing is going right, we can always create a miracle. We can always literally, like a dreidel, turn it around, you know, and create a miracle. Just exactly. like by Hanukkah. I love this. This is beautiful. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when we're dealing with challenges, with days that feel like they, you know, might uh, represent a shin, um, we, we deal with that a lot. And we have the tools usually to deal with challenges that come up, but sometimes we're faced with really extraordinary challenges and we might feel like we can't, we might really despair. And how do we handle this enormous challenge in our lives? And Hanukkah tells us that if you reach deep in, if you look hard enough, you will find that oil, that oil that was found that had the holy seal of the Kohen Gadol, you will find it within you. On regular days, we don't look for it. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't look for it. We don't find it. You know, we deal with, we use whatever resources we have. 
But when we have to dig deeper, when we're forced to, we turn to Hashem and we, we turn to above, we pray to Hashem, then we discover that extraordinary pure oil that comes out. And that doesn't just help us get through the challenge of that day. Now we have a whole new tool in our arsenal. And that can last the second day and the third day and the fourth day, etc. It's 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 that fuel, it's that tool, it's that resource that we find only because of extraordinary darkness or pain that rescues us. But then after the challenge passes, we're not shrinking back to our old selves. We now have this new tool in our arsenal forever. So the next time a challenge comes along, we're operating on a higher level. And of course, there will, there will be another challenge that will come along, but we're always growing. We're always adding light. And I don't know <laughs> if it's the right place to mention this, but you know, as even as, as I've heard a spinning instructor say, she said, it doesn't get easier, but you get stronger. We have, we have to learn from what anybody, from every source, right? And whatever we hear. So it's true. It doesn't get easier, but we get stronger. We find that oil within us and that can make us even, it, it makes us, it forces us to dig deep and explore new avenues and have more resources than we would have ever thought possible. And how many, how many stories do we know of extraordinary people who only did things because of extraordinary challenge? They only right. became so great because they were faced with such challenge. That's incredible. Wow. It's such an interesting perspective. It's such a great way to look at it. I've never heard a Hanukkah presented this way. It's so beautiful. And, it's, you know, it, it's just like a metaphor to our own lives, to our own everyday lives. And it's so, so powerful. You know, I love it. It doesn't get easier, but we get stronger. And that's so true. It really is. Um, yeah. but <laughs> now that we have a true understanding about, about what Hanukkah is about and how our customs to celebrate it came to be, I would like to go even deeper to uncover the spiritual meaning behind everything that we spoke about. I just want to go a little bit deeper because I want to start with the concept of eight. You know, there are eight nights of Hanukkah. We light eight candles. And of course, the ninth is the Shamash, which is the candle that we light first. We light the Shamash first and the Shamash lights the other candles. So on the last night of Hanukkah, we light eight candles in the menorah plus the additional candle that's the Shamash. And the Shamash is the big tall candle that lights all the other candles. And I wanted to explore the concept of the number eight because I understand it has a supernatural meaning. So can you please share with us the significance of the number eight and why it is such a special number? Absolutely. Um, number eight is something that represents transcendence mm -hmm. in a nutshell. So let's let's go back where and why and how. So in Kabbalistic teachings, the number seven symbolizes perfection, but a normal, natural perfection. Uh, the, a week is seven days long. Hashem created the world in the sixth plus Shabbos is seven. Between the Pesach and Shavuos, we have seven weeks after which we receive Matan Torah, completely transcendent. Um, the branches of the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash had seven the, the menorah had seven branches in the base of Mikdash. And even if you think of musical notes, but I love music, and for anybody who, who knows musical notes, um, an octave, basically, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, is, is seven. By the time you get to the do, like if you're singing the song in your head, that do is already the eighth note. And even though it sounds similar to the first, it's on a whole new level. It's trans it has transcended. It's on a higher plane. Wow. So while seven represents nature, and perhaps even perfection, eight is symbolic of an entity that is a step above the natural order. It's higher than nature and its limitations. 
excuse me. And that's why Hanukkah's eight days long, because you have the greatly outnumbered Maccabees. Number one, that they even resolved to battle the Greeks. That wasn't natural. That wasn't logical. Right. They drew on the reservoirs of faith and courage that are not part of the normative human nature, perhaps. And so therefore they merited a miracle that was higher than nature, a miracle that lasted eight days. And to commemorate this, we light the menorah on Hanukkah, which has eight branches, and we light it for eight days. Um, and if we want to go even deeper into the message of Hanukkah, and this is something that not a lot of people think about, it's Hashem's absolutely transcendental love for the Jewish people is reflected in the holiday of Hanukkah. And how is that? I'll give you two illustrations of that. Um, number one, it's from a Kedusha Slavi who is a Hasidic master, and he asks a question, and he or he quotes a Gemara in Masechet Kedushin that says, we see throughout our throughout the Torah, we, it mentions that we're children of Hashem. It says, Banim Hashem. That's a given. But there's this machokas in the Gemara. There's this question, wait, when are we children of Hashem? And there's actually two different opinions. Rabbi Yehuda says, we're children of Hashem when we behave, when we do what we're supposed to do, when we follow his commandments. And Rabbi Meir says, no, we're always children of Hashem. It doesn't matter if we're deserving. It doesn't matter if we're behaving. Just like a parent's love for a child is transcendental. We don't stop loving our child when they misbehave. So that's what the story of Hanukkah represents, our love, the transcendental love that Hashem has for us. And why? how do we see it here? In the miracle of the oil, because many people don't realize this, but during a time when most of the people are not in a state of purity, it would be acceptable to bring a communal offering that was not that was not um, spiritually pure either. At that time, all the people were they had tumas mates. They were all had all come into contact with the dead body. There was they were not all pure, so it would have been halachically acceptable to use any oil. But the fact that Hashem made available after their searching, after their commitment, and that pure oil, that highest level oil, was just Hashem showing, I see how much you want to do the right thing, and you want to do it well, and I love you so much, so I'm going to give this to you so you can do it in the best way possible. So that's one way uh, we see Hashem's transcendental love in Hanukkah. Beautiful. And another Thank you. And another one is um, based on a talk of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, where he discusses that the miracle of Hanukkah was manifest in both a physical and a spiritual level. What a lot of people don't realize is about the miracle of Hanukkah is that at the time, the Jews were really, it was a, it was a tough time to live, I guess. And the Greeks were very successful in making their religion more enticing. Um, so whether they forced the Jews to convert or they just made it so enticing, there were actually many, many Jews that did become Hellenists and start living life as the Greeks. Not only did they live as the Greeks, but then they fought against the Jews with the Greek army. So physically, on a physical level, being outnumbered and being opposed by even some of your own was enormous. And then spiritually, you had Jews who defected, so to speak. So spiritually, we weren't deserving. So basically, on both levels, physically, the Maccabees, the Jews didn't have the capacity to win according to nature. And spiritually, they didn't have the worthiness. Nevertheless, Hashem brought the salvation. Hashem brought the salvation then for them. 
and he could bring it now. You know, how many times do people look around the world and say, the world is so dark, it's so difficult. And even, uh, the, even the Jewish people, how many of us are committed? How many of us are loyal to Hashem? And unfortunately we see a lot of the opposite. So how could Mishiach ever come? But this is how Hashem shows us, even the small sliver of Jews that was loyal at that time of Hanukkah, so, so too now, when we have even one person who's devoted and committed, Hashem could bring the salvation to everybody. Hashem's love magnifies, this transcendental, tra Hashem's transcendent love magnifies all our acts of goodness, of kindness, of giving, of caring, and makes the world transform. And so with Mashiach, we will see that very soon. Amen. Amen. Today. <laughs> Today. Oh. Wow. This is amazing. This is giving me give, is giving me personally so much thought, you know, because we think about when people think about Hanukkah, they just think about, you know, the oil, the Maccabees, the dreidels, the, the, the chocolate gelt. But there's just so much to it. And not just not just Hanukkah as it applies to Hanukkah, not just the fact that it applies to Hanukkah, like the, the Hanukkah story. It applies, like you were saying, like to our everyday lives. Like we can take the story of Hanukkah and apply it to ourselves in February, in March, in the middle of the summer. It's really, really about how Hashem is interacting with the Jewish people and the, the transcendental value of the number eight that we were just talking about. You know, we, we don't always feel like we're deserving of a miracle at any time of year. I'm not just talking about Hanukkah. Like it could be August and we're struggling with something, whatever that something is. It could be financial. It could be health. It could be with the spouse. It could be with a child. It could be whatever, you know, and we feel like, why would he ever help me what well, I did. I don't dive in three times a day. I don't keep kosher. Like whatever it is, it's your particular struggle and you don't feel worthy. But here, Hashem, God is showing us, even if you're not worthy, even if you're not keeping my commandments 100%, I can still come in and save you. It's it's just such a beautiful concept. Like, we can we can bring ourselves up, up on a higher spiritual level just by having faith in Hashem alone, that he has the ability to transcend and to save us, even if we're not worthy of the salvation. It's just, I love it. It's gorgeous. Thank you. If, if, is it okay if we go back to the gout? You mentioned gout, and I yes. realized there was something I wanted to say about that. Sure. Um, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. So basically, Hanukkah gout became a thing. It seems like it started way back when when funds were really scarce. And the, well, there's a discussion in the Talmud, actually, as to if a person has enough money for only Hanukkah candles, or Kiddush wine, what should they purchase? And the answer is Hanukkah candles, because that is for it's a public miracle and they can light candles publicly. So they should, but in order for people not to have to make that choice or not to have to feel ashamed to beg for money, it became a thing that people just gave money at that time. But it seems that that's where it started, but it certainly becomes something that's a lot of fun and definitely expected from, from children that we give Hanukkah gelt, that we give money. And, and what is it about Hanukkah gelt or gelt at all that we could learn so I, you know, recently I was giving a, uh, I, was, I was at a challah bake and I was talking about challah and we spoke about the word challah itself comes actually from two words, chal Hashem, meaning chal, the regular mundane, every, everyday things are godly, are Hashem. So it reminds us to serve Hashem in all our ways and everything. And we actually played a little game. I, you know, I had two, two posters, one said holy, one said non-holy. And I threw out a bunch of uh, ideas. I picked up a few different cards. I'm like, okay, if you think it's holy, raise your right hand. If you think it's unholy, raise your left hand. And I did some of the obvious things like, you know, mezuzah, holy, a sefer Torah, holy, giving tzedakah, holy. Um, 
What about serving idols? Obviously unholy. Eating milk and meat together? Obviously unholy. Uh, being jealous of somebody or embarrassing somebody? Obviously unholy. And then the next card I pulled out said money. And you can hear the murmur in the room. You can hear the like, oh, you know, everybody paused and everybody's like, wait, wait. And some people were like, you know, holy, some people unholy, but there was a lot of, it, it actually caused a discussion. Wait, what, what, where does that, what is money? And the fact is that everything in the world falls into one of these categories. It could be either holy, defined by Torah as holy, or unholy, as defined by Torah, or neutral, non-holy yet, but could possibly become holy. Depending on us and how we use it and our intention with it, it could become holy. And what's so amazing about this, and this refers to money, it could refer to a computer. It could refer to so many things that are, if we want to call them pariv, but they can be used in a way to serve Hashem. I remember you know, when, when the radio first came out, there were many Jewish communities that were against, nobody should have radios in their homes. But then the Lubavitch Rebbe was the one who said, people have radios in their homes, let's use it and let's record and transmit Jewish learning, Torah talks. And there was a channel that was Tanya on the radio. Wow. And yeah, really. So, the, and that's the point that everything in this world could, as, as long as it falls in within the neutral category, obviously, if it's not holy according to Torah, then it's not. But everything we have the power to transform into something holy. And it's a tremendous gift to know that, to experience that every moment, at every time, in any place, with who or with what, in any circumstance, I have the ability to transform this moment and this or this thing into holiness. And it's it's quite quite powerful. So that was, you know, I was talking about challah at the time, like how we what we do with challah and how we make and eat challah, but money also. Money could be used for the greatest good. You want to talk about, you know, the gimel days or the gimel uses for money, or money unfortunately could be used for quite nefarious purposes, or even just selfish and frivolous purposes. So when we give Hanukkah gets to the children, we're telling them. The word Hanukkah actually has the same root as the word chinuch, which means to educate. So we're mechanach and we educate the children. Listen, we're giving you this money now, but look right there, this is a tzedakah box. First thing you do, you give your 10%, you give your miser, you give your tzedakah. And then think about what else are we gonna do with the money? How are we gonna use it in a wholesome, purposeful way that will help bring more godliness into the world? So this teaches, again, this teaches about the important Jewish value of making anything in the world at all into something holy and elevating it. Wow. That's incredible. And you know what? That's really a good lesson because really you're right. Money could be used for holy or unholy. And so computers, when you go on the internet, you have the option. Do I go on a site that's, you know, can be helpful or educational or do I not? Do I go on one of those sites that, you know, maybe I shouldn't be on, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But, um, it's so powerful because we, we're the ones who have the power because we have control over our thoughts, speech and, speech and action. So it's our actions. We're deciding by our actions whether to make something holy or unholy. And that's within our power. So it's just, you know, it's good to keep that in mind. I love that concept. Right. right. Imagine that if we would keep that in mind every moment and every day that we right? have the power every moment to transform anything. Because a lot of our day doesn't revolve around you know, we, we definitely spend our time davening and we pray to Hashem and we go to Shul and we do the mitzvahs, but most of our day falls into that middle gray area, if you will, and we can transform every part of that gray area into something holy. 
I love that. And you know, for sure that now that you're just saying that I'm thinking about speech because speech, you could either use that for a holy purpose or an unholy purpose. And we spend a lot of our day talking. Okay. Not every single minute, but a lot of our day we spend talking, you know, to whomever, to our spouse, to our kids, to the cashier at, at, at Whole Foods, you know, wherever we go, we spend time talking and we could either use our speech in a positive way to make it holy, to uplift somebody or the, or vice versa, or to like, say a bad word or to say convey a bad sentiment or to complain or to kind of drag the conversation downwards. And that's in our control, which is, I think it's super powerful. I really do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so another Hanukkah concept that begs to be explored is light versus darkness. And it's true that the bright Hanukkah candles create a light in the darkness of the night, but physical light and physical darkness are just on the surface of what happens when we wait for nightfall and then light our candles. There is a much deeper spiritual meaning to the physical concept of light and darkness. So can you please shed some light, pun intended, on what this notion of light and darkness is all about and what it really means for us? Absolutely. So in the Zohar, there actually is an argument about the nature of darkness. Is darkness an entity unto itself? Or is darkness merely a lack of light? And the Zohar concludes that darkness really is just the absence of light. So darkness, no matter how ominous and intimidating, it's not a thing or a force in its and of itself. It's just the absence of light. So we need light not to combat and overpower darkness, but to displace it. A little bit of light adds a lot of dark. I'm sorry, it, it dispels a lot of darkness. And of course, everything physical is a manifestation of the spiritual as well. Darkness is often used as a symbolism for evil, for negativity. And any light, you know, Hasidus uses light or to indicate godliness and holiness so light is not tangible it is it's not tangible we can't feel it and touch it but it warms it transforms it's godly like so the contrast between light and dark is a contrast between good and evil between positivity and negativity and that's why we light the menorah specifically when it's dark outside specifically when we could bring light to the world except for Shabbos when we have to light before, before candle lighting time, we have to light the candles then. Um, and that's to show one of the themes of the Antif is a celebration of light over darkness, of righteousness over tyranny. Um, you know, I, I saw the line, you know, one small candle, one giant light for mankind, right? You know, one small <laughs> light because that's a lot of darkness. Yes. So, and that's on Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a microcosm of our mission in the world. We're meant to be a light into the nations. We're meant to be, to a light in the darkness and what's beautiful about light is that you can keep sharing and spreading your light and your night your light will not ever be diminished thousands of candles can be lit from a single one and it's i won't be shortened and the same thing with happiness you share your happiness it never decreases by being shared the same thing with knowledge and acts of kindness and caring to others not only does it not take anything away from you but you get so much from it as well so that's a, a little bit about our job here in the world. And, you know, the truth uh -huh. is there, there are two kinds of light. There is the light that we experience where there's open light, you know, again, our gimel days. And then there are there's the light that's kind of hidden and we have to work to find it. Um, we might call, say the days that look like they, they're represented by a shin. Um, but we, when we work and we uncover the light in that darkness, we are so much more powerful and we could sh shine so much brighter than when we just started with the original light. 
we work so much harder, we could uncover even greater light. Similar to what we were saying before. I was just thinking that was similar to say to, to, to what we were saying before, like, you know, um, you know, it doesn't get easier, but we get stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as we get stronger, our light gets brighter. Exactly. I love, exactly. Oh, I love the way you put that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have time for one last question, but I saved the best question for last because any conversation about Hanukkah would not be complete without acknowledging the actual Hanukkah miracles. It was all a miracle that that small amount of oil burned for eight days instead of one day. It was also a miracle that a small, unprepared army was victorious over a large, well-prepared army, as we were mentioning before. And as we can see, Hashem, God, intervened in human affairs to create these incredible salvations. So we need to remind ourselves about God's ability to act miraculously, not just in the lives of Jews who lived long ago, but also in our lives. And not just when something big and unexpected occurs, but in everyday life as well. Because if we look closely, we can see God's hand running our lives each and every day. I mean, sometimes we have to look really, really, really closely, but he's there. He's guiding our lives each and every day. And the truth is there's nothing and no one other than God. And he makes miracles in our lives every day, not just on Hanukkah. So to illustrate this, I wanted to ask you if you could please share a story or two, either from your own life or from the life of somebody you know who experienced an everyday miracle where the hand of God was clearly visible. All right, first of all, I want to thank you so much for that question because I feel like it's so important. And if you don't mind, I'll expand on even just that a little bit. And sure. that is there are miracles in our everyday lives. And sometimes there's the splitting of the Red Sea miracles that we see in our lives. Doesn't happen very often. But then there's the miracles of the everyday. The fact that the sun rises is a miracle. The fact that we could take wheat that grows, grind it into flour, make it into bread and eat it, and that sustains us, it's a miracle. If we think about the people that were born in the desert and they were getting their man from Shamayim, from the sky, they were getting ready-made food and ready-made sustenance. We think of that, wow, such a miracle. But if we think about it from their perspective, if you would tell them that, no, you don't say hamotzi lechem min Shamayim, you don't you don't say the blessing of thanking Hashem for the bread from the sky, but rather from bread from the, we, we thank Hashem for what grows from the ground. They'll be like, what are you talking about? What is that? What? You could create and make bread from the ground? That's a miracle, right? So it's really our perspective. It's what we're used to. When we see the regular everyday miracles happening in our life, we don't really know. We become desensitized to them. So life is life is full of miracles, but we're just used to it, kind of. I love the metaphor, or at least the visual of, I don't know, I'm sure by now, everybody has ways, right? And sometimes ways will take you on the most circuitous route. And you'll be like, why? Like, why is it doing that? It makes no sense whatsoever. Either you'll follow it or you won't. Every once in a while, you'll be able to look at that ways. You'll be able to look at that map and you'll be able to see why ways are sending you around some major obstacle or very, very heavy traffic. So then it makes sense. And then you see why you have to go through that whole route because you're avoiding something. You don't always see that. Sometimes it's a matter of faith. Like, am I going to follow ways? Am I going to listen? And I'm going to trust what it says or not? But right. we know wherever Hashem sends us, whatever path Hashem sends us on, even though if we if we think our goal is this, or we think we were trying to accomplish this, but Hashem's like, actually, you're meant to accomplish a lot of things on the side of, first. Um, Hashem knows, like he knows. And, and when we recognize that, that itself, I think, is a miracle. Recognizing in our, what we might call the detours of our life, 
that those that's Hashem sending us. And and I think that that in itself, seeing that and recognizing that is a miracle. It's like the miracle is even more when we don't see it, but we have the faith and we believe that it's there. So, but I just, it's interesting. I just, just, just heard a story last night that I wanted to share because this really is a story quite profound. I walked into show on this past Shabbos and I was greeted by one of the members of our show who said, did you know this story about your mother? There's a rabbi in Israel who gives the Tanya class and he told this whole story about your mother and he proceeded to tell me the story. I hadn't remembered the details, but after Shabbos, of course, I, you know, I'm on WhatsApp, I'm sharing it with my family and we, of course, we confirmed the details and we corroborated and we found uh, other sources and a letter, really amazing stuff. But then my brother mentioned a story which I had actually never known. A story about my mother. And my mother, Mrs. Brenya Schaefer, she'll live and be well and very blessed to call her my mother. She is a noted lecturer and for, for many years, many decades already has been lecturing, um, mostly on women's subjects, but others as well. Um, so many years ago, um, my brother was a, ba was a, ba a baby. Um, she was asked by Rabbi Garari from Buffalo, New York, to come to Buffalo to give a talk to some people he had there. And she agreed to do it. But when the time came, it was actually really, really, really difficult. You know, my brother at the time, <clears throat> and this is going back many decades, but he wasn't feeling well. He was a baby, he was a baby. She was taking him along. He wasn't feeling well. It was a rainy day. It was, she couldn't get a cab. It was impossible to get a cab. Not only that, she had told Rabbi Garari that she had to be back that night. So even getting a ticket, an airplane ticket was so expensive and she couldn't get a cab. So she called her brother, my uncle Rabbi Michal Slavin, <clears throat> to drive her. So she's sitting in the car with her brother and she's just complaining to him the whole time. She's like, I don't even know what I'm doing this for. What is it even worth? What is the point? He's spending so much money to fly me out there for what to speak to 20 minutes. I'm going to change people's lives in 20 minutes. Like what, what is it even worth? Anyway, she went, she spoke, she came back, she continued living her life. A few months later, her brother called her and said, I have to tell you, my brother-in-law just went on Merkaz Shluchas to um, one of the Carolinas. Merkaz Shluchas is where Lubavitch World Headquarters would send Bacharim to communities to kind of do the groundwork and investigating, see what they need so that they could, and, and also to bring stuff to provide for the community. If there is not yet a permanent shliach in place, so the Merkaz Shluchas would come in and see. So this is my, my uncle's brother-in-law had just gone to the Carolinas. He was meeting with a lot of uh, the community heads to see what he could do. And he was met with a lot of hostility and they didn't want to hear from him. The like, Chabad is not educated. They don't know what they're doing. They're not. And there was a lot of, lot of negativity and it, it was, it, he wasn't really making any headway. And then one woman stood up and she was very defensive of Chabad. What, you don't know what you're talking about. I was just in Buffalo a few months ago. I went to visit a friend and I went to this talk and I heard a talk by this woman. She was very educated and this is not what Chabad is about. And she was actually, this was what made her instrumental in, get, in getting whatever was needed to accomplish. They're accomplished. And, and the funny thing, actually, my mother's name is, it's Branya Schaefer. And she always hated her name. It's like, to sort of, you know, it's not like Kahana or Miriam or Sarah. What's Branya? She it would always bother her. But when uh, when when this woman in the Carolinas was asked, like, who was Electra? Who did you hear that you know that about Chaban? She said, I can't remember her name. It was a very funny name. <laughs> so he was able to put two and two together and figure out that it was my mother, and therefore the story was able to get back to her. But this story has like a do you want to say a happy ending because 
we were able to connect the dots. We were able to see Hashem's hands in everything. Why my mother did go to Buffalo, even though it was so difficult, and the effect that she had ended up having the ripple effect on the community in, in the Carolinas. And we we're, here we could see all the dots. Most times in life, we don't see all the dots. But the miracles that we keep believing that all the dots connect, that there is a higher power, that there is a Hashem, that there is somebody who's running the world and connecting all the dots. So if to sum everything up, if we learn the lesson of the oil, of growing incrementally step-by-step step with our eye on the goal and celebrating each small victory, we learn the lesson from the dreidel where wherever we are in life, whatever it might feel like, whatever angle we're looking at, we should know that the whole dreidel represents a nace. It's a miracle. And Hashem is on top. Hashem is running the world. Hashem is spinning the dreidel running our lives and he's in charge and he knows what's best for us not only does he know what's best but he loves us with this transcendental love and therefore we're above nature and whatever small little thing we do Hashem magnifies and makes even greater and Hashem could bring you know even each of us on our micro level is doing what we can and together we should all unite in Hashem even though we might think that as a nation we're not worthy of Mashiach Hashem has showed us that he can bring the salvation and he will bring the salvation. Amen. So Amir Hashem will see Mashiach now. Amen. Amen. Oh my gosh. That was a perfect note to leave off. That was so powerful and it was so beautiful and it's so incredible how you can really see Hashem's hand, especially in the story that you just told with your mother. I mean, South Carolina and Buffalo. I mean, they're just, oh my gosh. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rebetzin Nahami, for joining us on America's Top Rebetzins. It was truly a pleasure to have you with us. And may the learning we did today be for Rafua Shalema, for Leah Hensha, Bat Sivia Golda, Sivia Golda, Bat Vega, Shmuel Ben Yitzhak, and Esther Rebecca. Thank you again so, so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful Hanukkah. Thank you. And you too.